Our readings from Exodus continue today at chapter 19 on page 76 of the Church Bibles. We're reading the whole chapter starting at Mount Sinai. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, Moses. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud, so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people. <coughs> Put limits for people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them, but no person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the people, 
Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him with thunder. <coughs> the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, <coughs> go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down now and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is the word of the Lord. Great, please keep the passage open in front of you. Exodus 19, page 76 and 77, and let's pray. Father, we pray, please, that as we come to this wonderful passage, your people meeting with you at the mountain, Father, please take us there. Help us to see what they saw, uh, to hear what they heard and, and to be in awe of you. Teach us through what we read here. Amen. There'll be some days in your life you will never forget. Some days are just like that, aren't they? Special days, things that you look back on with, with great fondness, amazing days. I was... Uh, watching a, a, a documentary of um, some members of the White House or former White House staff. Um, and they talked about some incredible days they would have, the amazing privilege of working in the White House. 
And uh, one of them talked about a trip that they did where they were at a meeting in the Palace of Versailles, then had lunch with the Pope in Rome, and then uh, had dinner in England with the Queen. What an amazing day, they said, just incredible. Exodus 19 tells us of days that no Israelite who was there could possibly forget. These are days which are so momentous that they shaped the future of the whole nation of Israel. The Israelites met with God on Mount Sinai. This is where the book has been heading. Moses was told back in chapter 3 of Exodus that he would lead the people out, that they would go to this mountain and worship God there. And that is where they now are. Verse 1 and 2 tell us that they came to the desert of Sinai. And at the end of verse 2 it says they camped in front of the mountain. And in, I mean, it's interesting, chapters 18 and 19, we looked at chapter 18 last week, we said this is the hinge point, now we come into the second half of the book. Actually, chronologically, chapter 18 comes after chapter 19, but the writer of Exodus, Moses, has put it this way round. And we come now, we find the people arriving at the desert in front of the mountain and camping there. And this is where the Israelites will remain for the rest of the book. So they're going to meet with God at this mountain. But before they do, they need to get ready. We might, in our arrogance, assume that we could just breeze into the presence of God. But God tells his people that they need to get ready. Moses actually goes up the mountain three times in the chapter. The first two times to hear what the people have got to do to be ready to meet with God. So what have they got to do? What have they got to do? Ah, Ah, there we go. First is obedience. Verses 3 to 8. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you'll say to, the, to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do you see how the Lord begins? He begins by reminding them what he has done for them. How he's rescued them from slavery, carried them on eagles' wings. How he's provided for them as he has brought them out of slavery in Egypt, through the desert and to the mountain. He reminds them what he's done for them. And then he says, verse 5, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, here's an important and tricky question for you. Was the Israelites' relationship with God 
conditional or unconditional? That isn't an easy question to answer. And actually, you get both in these verses, don't you? So you might think, well, it's unconditional. Look at what God has done for them. He tells them what he's done. He's already rescued them, brought them out of slavery. He's already looked after them. Tells us that in verse 4. And we know God has already called them in the book of Exodus, my son. That is what they are. So... We might say, well, their relationship is unconditional. He hasn't said, you've got to obey me for me to rescue you, or you've got to obey me for you to be my son. No, they are those things. It's unconditional. But, verse 5 is a condition, isn't it? Verse 5, now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Don't skip over that. Let's not just ignore that if. Give it its full weight. If you obey me. And as you go through the Old Testament, you see actually this is a tension which stays there. So we're going to stay in this tension for a bit. Is God's relationship with them conditional or unconditional? Well, it's unconditional, but... It's also conditional, isn't it? And as you go through the Old Testament, uh, there are points where they just keep rebelling, keep disobeying God. And God keeps saying to them, I'm going to have to punish you. It looks conditional, doesn't it? They've disobeyed, so God's going to punish them. And in Jeremiah 11, for instance, God tells them, they broke the covenant. So it says, Jeremiah 11, verse 10, both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Now, you can't break a covenant if it's unconditional. It must be conditional. How do they keep in this covenant? They've got to obey God. And therefore, the people face God's judgment. But this tension is there in the Old Testament because uh, in the book of Hosea, there's a point where God says, you've broken my covenant, I'm going to discipline you, I'm going to get, send a sword against you. And then God says, it's an amazing moment in Hosea where God says, but how can I give you up? How can I let you go? Do you see this tension is there? It's conditional, they've broken the conditions and God should discipline them, should punish them, but it's kind of unconditional as well because he says, I, I, I can't do it. This tension is there. Sit with it for a few moments. This tension. And it's important for us as well, isn't it? Is God's relationship with us conditional or unconditional? Does obedience matter? We'll come back to that. God says to the Israelites, you must obey me. And God has not changed. He requires obedience. Like I say, we'll come back to this. Sit with the tension for a bit.
Well, Moses speaks to the people and they respond, okay, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And so Moses goes back to the Lord, up the mountain for the second time. And God says, to, uh, God says he's going to come down on the mountain in a cloud. And Moses tells the Lord what the people have said. And then the Lord tells, uh, tells Moses the next thing they must do to be prepared to meet with him. What's the next thing that they need? Obedience, they need to have. Next, purity. Moses, we are told, is to consecrate the people. Verse 10, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Now, we're not all that sure what he then did how he went about consecrating them. Maybe it was sacrifices. But we do know what they were to do. Verse, verse 10 at the end, make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. So they had to be clean. Often our clothes say a lot about us, about what we're about to do, don't they? Someone uh, wearing a suit and tie isn't about to go scuba diving and someone wearing a wedding dress is not about to go into outer space. No, what we wear says something about what we're about to do. And if you're going to meet with God, you've got to be clean. No impurity before God. And God has not changed. We still need to be pure when we come to the Lord. As it says in Psalm 24, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by what is false. You've got to be clean to come before God. I'm sure you've seen on TV programs, maybe you've seen it live, when surgeons go into theatre. Before they go into the operating theatre, they scrub, don't they? They get scrubbed clean. They've got to be absolutely clean, scrubbing under their fingernails, all those kind of things. They've got to do it so that they don't take impurity in because it would be dangerous for, for, for the patient. Coming into God's presence, you can't come in with any uncleanness. Not for God's sake, not because it would infect him, but for your own sake, you would be destroyed. And God tells Moses to put limits round the mountain, that no one should touch it. Well, Moses goes down the mountain again and consecrates the people. They wash their clothes. And he tells them, verse 15, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. It's not totally clear why. The Bible doesn't say sex is bad. But maybe it's just suggesting this is a form of fasting for the people, that they should be focused. And now they're ready. Hearts committed to obeying the Lord. A purified camp consecrated and clean they are it seems ready to meet the Lord and the day arrives verse 16 on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast everyone in the camp trembled then verse 17 Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. This is it. 
Moses leads the people out to meet God. And along with the thunder and the lightning and the thick cloud, we're told, verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. Interesting. The people trembled and now the mountain trembles at the presence of God. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. It's an attack on the senses, isn't it? Seeing the lightning and the smoke billowing up, hearing the thunder, the trumpet getting louder and louder and feeling the trembling of the earth. An experience which would convey God's incomparable awesomeness, his glory. And then it says, Moses speaks and God answers. And in verse 20, you have this incredible meeting between God and man. God, it says, the Lord descends to the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses is called up to the top of the mountain. The meeting of God and man. And God speaks. And what does God say? Verse 20. Verse 21, sorry. And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Moses protests. We've put boundaries around. People know. They know not to come up the mountain, not to touch the mountain. But verse 24, the Lord says, Go down, bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. What does this repeated warning tell us? that they still could not come close to God. You can imagine the people thinking, now come on, we've done all that we were supposed to. We've done all that you told us to. We pledged obedience. We said we'd obey whatever you said, Lord. And we've been pure. We've washed our clothes. Look, they're nice and clean. And we haven't had sex for three days. We're ready. Surely we can come into God's presence now. But they can't. Do you see that they could not get themselves in a condition in which it was safe for them to approach God? And God has not changed. And we have not changed. Do you realise this? We can't get ourselves into a condition to enter into the presence of God. Just as you and I can't get ourselves into a condition where we could cope with being in outer space. We need spacesuits and that kind of thing. We can't on our own just go into outer space. So we cannot and possibly go into the presence of God. That is what this is saying. 
no matter how much we pledge obedience, no matter how pure we try to make ourselves, even the position that we might have, priests could not go into the presence of God. They couldn't do it. Before the Lord, none can enter his presence. Don't go up. And yet, we're going to turn to another passage which helps us. This passage, Mount Sinai, presents us with God as he truly is. Awesome. Frightening. We cannot enter his presence. But I want you to turn to Hebrews 12. Page 1211, which talks about this passage. So turn there, please, because we're going to look at this passage for, for a few minutes. Page 1211, Hebrews 12, and I'm going to read from verses 18 to 24. Hear these wonderful words. But you need to have the mountain and the fire in your mind. Okay. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hebrews is saying, you and I do not come to that mountain, to Exodus 19 mountain, but rather we come to a city. The writer of Hebrews brings out how terrifying that first mountain was. The fire the trumpet blast, even Moses' thoughts that he was terrified. And the writer says, you don't come to that mountain. Now he says, we come to a city. And it is a city with a very, very different feel. Not a place of terror, but a place of joyful celebration. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. 
you have come to a joyful place. Not a terrifying place, but a joyful place, he says. And you've come to God's people, not Israel, but to church, the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. And he says, you've come to God. What was for them a huge deal? To come to the mountain and meet with God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, yeah, you've done that. You've met with God. But how? How can we meet with God? If God is the same as on the mountain, and he is, the Bible says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he is the same God, and we are the same as the people of Israel, our condition is no better. How can you and I come into the presence of God? How can we come to a city of joy rather than a mountain of terror? Verse 23 of Hebrews 12. Second half of verse 23. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There is a lot in that. Here's the difference. The mediator and the covenant. Moses is not our mediator. Thankfully, he is not our mediator. Jesus is. And the covenant, do you remember God said to them, you need to keep the covenant. We have a new covenant that Jesus made for us. And those things make all the difference in the world. The difference between coming to a mountain that is terrifying or a city that is joyful. Because to enter God's presence still requires perfect obedience. Which you and I cannot achieve. We can never hope to achieve. Sorry, Tobes, can we move on two slides? Ne next one, that's it. We've got to be obedient, and we can't do it. But Jesus is our mediator and achieves it for us. Is our relationship with God conditional or unconditional? The answer is conditional. Conditional upon obedience. But we can't meet the conditions. Jesus, our mediator, does it for us. Praise be to Jesus. We can't fulfill the conditions. He does it for us. Such that, as it says in Romans 8 verse 4, let's have the next slide. It's just a little bit from it. It says, and so, this is because of what Jesus did in coming and living and dying for us. It says, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Now take that in. The righteous requirements of the law are perfect obedience. That's the condition. Not, I had a good try at it. Not, 80% obedience, not 90% obedience, not 99% obedience. Perfect, complete obedience. Do you manage that? 
Do you meet the conditions? You say, no, I don't. And that's right, you don't. And neither do I. But Jesus, our mediator, does. And therefore, because he is our substitute, because he's our mediator, as Romans 8 says, therefore, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Do you fulfill the law? On my own, no. In Christ, yes. I fulfill the law. Are you perfect in obedience? On your own, no. In Christ, yes. And therefore, through Christ, you can come to God and come to the city of angels joyfully singing. You don't come to a mountain that is terrifying. And to enter God's presence also requires purity, doesn't it? And that is what the sprinkled blood is all about. That's why it says at the end of verse 24, uh, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We won't get into Abel, but we will think about the sprinkled blood. To enter God's presence still requires purity. We've got to be obedient, yes, but we've got to be pure. That's what the sprinkled blood is for. Later on in the book of Exodus, after chapter 19, after this, uh, this moment, there is a point at which Moses sacrifices animals and sprinkles the people with its blood. And the book of Hebrews tells us that blood is always being used in the Old Testament, often being used to make things pure. Have a look. Hebrews 9 verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Hebrews is saying, it, the writer's saying, look, in the Old Testament, I mean, so many things, you've got to be purified with blood. You'd never purify things with blood, would you? You've got to want to make something clean at home. You'd never use blood for that. But that's what God says you've got to do in the Old Testament. To purify things, you've got to use blood. But yet, Hebrews also tells us, the blood of bulls and goats never actually deals with sin. It doesn't actually make you pure on the inside. But this blood that it's talking about in, in verse 24 of chapter 12, the sprinkled blood here does make you clean. What is this sprinkled blood? It's the blood of Jesus. His death for us that can make us completely clean. And that is the new covenant and the better mediator. So the mediator and the covenant make all the difference to you and me. We are those who are made perfect. Those who've been made pure. Purely by what Jesus does. Does that then mean that our obedience and our holiness don't matter? That we can live however we want because, well, Jesus fulfills the requirements for us. Oh, no. No, no. If we come to that conclusion, we've misunderstood. After all, just look back in, Romans, in Hebrews 12, sorry, to verse 14, where it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
no, no, it does matter. But not to get us into the presence of God, but as those who have been brought into the presence of God. If Jesus makes us pure by his blood, it would be utterly wrong to think, well, therefore we can live impure lives. No, we are to live for God, for Jesus, seeking holiness and purity and obedience, but knowing that they don't achieve our presence in, with God, our access to his presence. Jesus does it all. And he sends us his spirit to purify us, to work on us day by day, to make us more like Jesus. What practical difference does this make to you and me? Well, there should be joy that we can enter the presence of God. Sometimes we hold back, don't we? Don't you? Sometimes we think, I can't enter God's presence. I'm too bad. Christians can sometimes be so aware of their sin, they think they cannot enter in. And yet, the mediator and the covenant says, yes, yes, you're right, to enter into God's presence is conditional, and you don't meet those conditions. But Jesus has. He has made you righteous. And therefore, your sin does not hold you back, must not hold you back. Enter into the presence of God through Christ with confidence because of Jesus, not because of yourself. And so with joy, enter his presence day by day, in prayer, through Christ. And we're to do so as verse 28 and 29 of Hebrews 12 tell us to. Have a look. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. He is still the same God. We can joyfully, thankfully come into his presence and do so with reverence and awe. And therefore, this week, can I encourage you, day by day, as you pray, when you come into God's presence in that way, just take a moment. Pause. Remember the mountain. Remember that before God, on our own, we cannot enter. But through Christ we can. And therefore, in your prayer times, come into God's presence with boldness, confidence, thankfulness, joy, and reverence, and awe. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so often our understanding of you is small. We don't take in all that you are. And as we come to this passage in Exodus 19, as we have seen it, we recognise we need to be more in awe of you. And Father, we also need to be more thankful and joyful 
that Moses is not our mediator, but Jesus is. And that we have the new covenant in his blood, which means we can come into your presence. Father, fill us with joy and help us to be full of awe and reverence as we worship you acceptably through Christ. Amen.